life surrounded. Troubles abounded. The path I traveled was cast in darkness. The unknown reached out before me and behind me. I was overwhelmed by struggles. I could not forge my own way. I had to rely on another, leaving my past behind in search of the truth. I took wrong turns and ended up farther from where I was meant to be. But there was grace. There was direction that did not fail. I had faith. When creation rose up around me, I glorified my creator. But I still needed his word, a map to show me the way. Together, they guided me home. There was only one way, Christ alone. There is only one true north. Well, good morning, Cornwall Church here in Bellingham. Uh, to those watching online, to those watching on the big screen in Skagit, and our friends in Boca, it is great to welcome you on this Thanksgiving weekend. And if we have not yet met, my name is Brian Mengel. I am the campus pastor at our Skagit campus location. As we dive into this series, this, um, this, uh, this, uh, I'm sorry, you know what? Um, we just have to address that elephant in the room Really quick, um, just some family business. You know, over this last several months, Pastor Bob and I have shared some one-liners from this stage. You know, one pastor commenting on the other pastor's height, the other pastor commenting on the other pastor's sermon length too long. And so I just, I just thought it would be good for you to know, all jokes aside, Pastor Bob and I we are good. We are good. We are for one another. We tease in love. We share initials. I mean, we are good together. And so I just want to show that to you, prove that to you. In fact, if you have a smartphone, would you pull out your smartphone at this time? Yet you have permission to take your phones out, you and Skagit as well. Take your phone out and then swipe to the camera app because I want you to have a lasting proof of, of evidence of what I'm about to show you. So you've got your phone out, you've got the camera ready. Okay, uh, Kirby, can you escort Pastor Bob out on stage? Because I think it's important that you all know and see that we are good. Thank you, Kirby. Thank you, Pastor Bob. Okay, so I just want to make sure, so for this section, camera's ready. This is your pastor and pastor. Uh-huh. Okay, center section, big hugs for Bob right here. Okay, yes, all right, I love this guy. Okay, over here, section. Okay, great. <laughs> Pastor Bob and I, we are united. I love this guy. I'm so grateful to share the stage with him today. And um, I mean, the only thing about him that's missing, I think, is maybe just like a little mustache right there. Okay. <laughs> All right, Kirby, can you take Pastor Bob back off stage so he can enjoy his vacation? All right. I love that guy. Now let's get serious. We are launching into this second week of our Christmas series called True North. And I love this because we're looking at the five pillars of the Reformation. And last week, Pastor Bob laid the groundwork and gave us this context 
of the first pillar, sole deo gloria. That John Ortberg would say, this is the bedrock of our faith. It's how we define how we live. Soli Deo Gloria, translated from Latin, is simply this. Sole is lone, singular, one. Deo is God. Gloria is due Gloria. So in other words, it is glory to God alone. Sole Deo Gloria. So when you sing Gloria in Excelsius Deo this Christmas season, you're simply saying glory to God in the highest. And while each of these words is highly important, one is especially critical. It's this word here, alone. The word alone. God does not share his glory. And this is interesting, right? Because the God we know is a God that shares well. He shares love. He shares mercy, generosity. He shares in our suffering. But when it comes to glory, God is not shy about keeping that for himself. The Bible will make more than 500 references to the glory of God and God's glory. In fact, in Isaiah, it says this, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. And later in Isaiah, he will say it again, I will not yield my glory to another. Now, it's important to understand the why he says this. It's not because he wants the limelight or needs the affirmation or because he wants to satisfy some selfish, narcissistic need. It's simply because the glory is rightfully due him. The glory is his. It's due him. I remember back to fourth grade in Mr. Anderson's class, and on Mondays he would administer a spelling test. Now, if you got 100% on Monday, you didn't have to take the test on Friday, and you got to administer the test to the class. Every week I tried and tried and tried, and it was nearing the end of the school year, and while I was not a cheating student, it changed that day, that Monday. I don't remember what the side deal was, but the student who reviewed and corrected my spelling test overlooked the misspelled word and quickly lifted my paper and said, Brian got 100%. And that Friday, I got to sit on the stool and give the spelling test. I can still remember the class applauding and Mr. Anderson giving me a high five, but the glory was not rightfully mine. The applause, the accolades, those were not deserved. And we know this because whether it's cheating on a test or it's plagiarizing a book or attempting to take credit for something that you didn't do, it's wrong. And this is God's perspective as well. Consider God saying, you know, the creation of the world, yeah, that was, that was all me. You know those amazing views you have on the way to Whistler or the Olympic mountain range? Yeah, that was me too. The expansive oceans, the stunning sunsets, yeah, me. The intricacy of a spider's web or how a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, you guessed it, me again. Now, I'm not suggesting that any of you have laid claim to any of those marvels. We know we had nothing to do with that. But what about a job promotion, recognition at work? The birth of a child, or quite simply, the food in your pantry. Because you did have something to do with those things. Since the human spirit longs for recognition 
and appreciation, it is vital that we understand and we recognize to whom we are giving glory for things in our lives. Think back to when Jesus was born. Mary most certainly had something to do with that story. But as we look at Luke 2, it says, suddenly a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and peace to those on whom his favor rests. God is clear. His glory will not be shared with other gods or other idols or us. Glory is reserved for the Lord. Herod learned this the hard way. King Herod made the mistake of trying to appropriate God's glory. And we see in Acts 12, Herod, wearing his royal robe, sat at his throne, delivered a public address to the people. So far, so good. But it continues. They shouted, this is the voice of a God, not of man. And immediately, because Herod did not give praise and glory to God, an angel of the Lord struck him down. He was eaten by worms and died. Herod mistakenly tried to grasp for glory that was not due him. So this is a non-negotiable. This is an understood truth that God does not share his glory because he does not have to, period. What else is there to know about God's glory? Well, to quote Bachman Turner Overdrive, you ain't seen nothing yet. If this is the expanse of God's glory, you've likely only seen this. We've only experienced a glimpse of God's glory. Glory, this much, a fraction, not because he's hiding behind the curtain like the Wizard of Oz or he's withholding glory from us. Well, actually he is. He is withholding his glory from us because the truth is the glimpse of God's glory that he has revealed is about all we can handle. Think back, what were you doing August 21st, 2017? Maybe you with Thousands, millions of others were watching this. This was the day of the total solar eclipse, viewable all over North America, parts of South America, Africa, and Europe. However, it was determined the middle of Oregon was the most ideal location on the planet to see the eclipse. Not since 1979, and not again till 2024, people from around the world would flock to little Madras, Oregon to see the eclipse for two minutes and two seconds. According to the American Optometry Association, viewing the eclipse without protective glasses could burn your retina or cause permanent eye damage. And so with goggles and and glasses on, the moon would momentarily pass and obscure the light of the sun, and we got a glimpse, a glimpse of the sun, just a glimpse Because a fraction is all we can handle. The intensity of the sun, this is all that we can handle. And the same is true for God's glory. It's just too much. It's like devouring a Slurpee too fast. You get a brain freeze. And God knows we cannot handle more than that. We have finite brains. He understands our capacity. So, for anyone wanting to see or know God's glory more deeply. He provides it in digestible detail of his great magnitude. He reveals himself in ways that we can understand through people and through nature and through the Bible and, yes, through Jesus. We see a great example of this in the Gospels of Mark and Matthew and Luke all record this moment. 
Mark chapter 9, it says, After six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him and led them up on a mountain where they were all alone. And there he transfigured before them. His clothes would turn dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And then a cloud appeared and covered them. And a voice came from the cloud saying, This is my son whom I love. Listen to him. Jesus' transfiguration provided a glimpse of God's glory. For three years, Jesus was living day to day with these guys, learning with, building relationship with, experiencing life together. But in this moment, Peter, James, and John found themselves on the inner circle and got to see Jesus like no one else had. They got to see a glorified Christ right there before them. Hebrews 1, 3 says this, the sun radiates God's own glory and expresses the very character of God. The sun radiates and expresses the character of God. All this to say, all that you have learned about God's glory, all that you know about God's glory, all that you have comprehended is merely a fraction of what there is to know. And what we truly realize then is This makes a stronger case for sole deo gloria. Let there be glory to God alone. Now, as I mentioned earlier, Pastor Bob last week gave us the theological and historical background for the series. And he told us this week we would take a hard right for the practical. Answering the how. How do we take this idea of giving God glory and seeking out the glory of God in our everyday life? You know, on Monday... When we go from zero to 60, full throttle. Well, I think it begins quite simply as looking. Consider, are you actively looking for evidence of God's glory? Are you looking for evidence of God's glory? If you aren't expecting to see the glory of God, you probably won't. But if you do recognize those divine moments in your day that provide an opportunity for you to understand that the creator of the world specifically is interested in you, it changes everything. The late R.C. Sproul once said, the world is filled with God's glory. You can't turn without bumping into it. Isaiah 6.3 says, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with his glory. One more in Psalm We've got Psalm, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. You might feel like the glory of God is just out of reach. It is just too far away. It's untouchable. You might feel like the glory of God is reserved for a weekend service or a special extraordinary circumstance, and you would be wrong. The glory of God The proof of his existence, his creation, his ability, his nature, it's all around us. We just have to look. In the Gospel of John, Jesus says this, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And we think to ourselves, is it really that easy? And the answer, it's really that easy. Jesus says so. If you believe, then you will see the glory of God. If you believe, then you will see. I asked a handful of people from both the Bellingham campus and the Skagit campus for an example, a picture 
of how they've seen the glory of God in everyday life placed right in front of them. And their answer is so awesomely, perfectly different. The first is Nancy Angle. Nancy sent this picture. Nancy, who for 15 years worked at our front desk here at Cornwall Bellingham, and she sent this picture with this description. I am completely awestruck in the visual glory of God. From the vibrant colors at my feet to the contrast of strength in the rocks and the softness in the snow. The reality that God is everywhere in both the big and small things in life. Hannah Thompson, who attends at our Skagit campus, is a personal landscaper at a private estate on Blakely Island. She has a front row seat every day on her boat ride to work. And she sent this picture with this verse. Psalm 107, some went out on the sea in ships. They were merchants on the mighty waters. They saw the works and glory of the Lord, his wonderful deeds in the deep. Phyllis Kramer, who is one of our elders, was playing on stage this morning, sent this picture. She said, I hear, I hear the glory of God through the sound of Mozart's sonata. When she hears this piece of music, she hears the glory of God. Pastor Kip is our creative arts pastor and and he and his wife, Linda, are good friends and Pastor Kip sent this picture, picture of Linda and his grandson, Case. He said, I see God's glory reflected in my family. And on a personal note, Pastor Kip and I have been friends and colleagues for coming up on a decade now. And while Kip says he sees God's glory in his family, his ever-growing family, I just want to tell you, I've seen God's glory reflected in Kip, the grandfather. It's incredible to see how God is using this passionate, God-fearing, hilarious, fallible man to express the glory of God to a brand new generation. Val Visser, who attends at our Skagit campus, sent this picture the Anacortes Ferry Terminal. She said, I see God's glory in the beauty of his creation at sunset. One more. This is Corinda's picture. She uh, leads worship here in Bellingham, was on stage this morning. And this picture taken at Dinosaur National Park in Utah. Take a listen to her description of how she sees God's glory in this picture. I always feel like I get a glimpse of God's glory in nature. He's so powerful and so creative, and being in nature shows me how unfathomable he is. When I see a dry rock and find colorful life growing from it, I'm reminded that even life can come from ashes when we give God the glory through our trials. This picture of the rock and the flower feels like my story to me, life from rocks. But if we focus on God and continue to give him glory in all that's around us at every turn, even in the pile of rocks, we can see God's glory. It's all around us. It's just a matter of us peeling away the lens of grief and sadness and worldliness and whatever else is clouding our vision that we see God's glory truly. He reveals himself to us in all of it, the ugly and the joy and everything in between. 
R.C. Sproul said, the world is filled with God's glory. You can't turn from bumping into it. And I would take liberty with that quote and say what he's really saying is, if you don't see the evidence of God's glory around you, you're not looking hard enough. Which means this, to wholeheartedly glorify God requires our intentional effort. It requires your intentional effort, a willingness to put in the work the effort, and to keep at it. And why does this have to be mentioned? Because, spoiler alert, at our core, our default, we're lazy. We're lazy people. If you need evidence of that, I saw it this week. Apparently, now going through the drive through at McDonald's is too much work. And so now Uber Eats will go pick up your McDonald's and bring it to you. We are a lazy people, even the most doers in the room. Your default is laziness. And when it comes to our faith, even more so. So in our daily life, the glory of God, to see that, it will take work, it will take effort, it will take intentionality. A.W. Tozer said it this way, the glory of God always comes at the sacrifice of self. John Ortberg would say it this way, we are called to be glory reflectors. Glory reflectors, not glory manufacturers. You see, every glory outside the glory of God is a hidden, selfish, self-glory. So how do we battle this? Well, we as Christ followers, we have to find a motivation and inspiration by God's glory and not our own. I mean, think back to the last time you did this that you truly took in God's glory, whether it was outside in nature or reading scripture, whatever it was, and consider how rich that moment was, how filling that moment was, how awe-inspired it left you. And then realize that moment doesn't have to be an isolated occurrence. Blogger and author Rachel Wojo offers some simple, practical ways to intentionally recognize God's glory in our life. She says, simply write it down. Write down the moments. In our house, me, my daughter Alyssa, and my son Dylan have a bad habit. If we're running slow on a supply, we'll just yell it out. Toilet paper! As if like Amazon Prime was listening and was shipping it instantly. But my wife, who's incredible, will always respond the same way. Please put it on the list so that when she gets to the grocery store, she won't forget. It's the same way with you and the glimpses of glory that God provides you. In the moment, it's real time. It's happening. You're in it. But an hour later, a day later, a week later, the details, they might be fuzzy. What did you see? What scripture was speaking to you? What evidence of God's creation captivated you? So simply write it down. And then every now and then, just stop and flip through the pages and be wowed by how God's glory has been right in front of you, day after day, moment by moment. For those that are visual, take a, a digital memory, take a picture of the encounter or the object or the screenshot of your friend's encouraging text or a picture of the moment or the object, or the landscape, the reminder of God's glory. And then create a, an album, and, and don't, you don't have to post it. 
Resist the temptation to, to run to social media because God is a personal God. And so that picture, that moment, that digital reminder could just be for you and he. Or she also suggests, mark up your Bible. I was at my desk this week and looking through my grandfather's Bible and as you open it up and th flip through the pages, it's full of highlights and lines and circles and reminders and colors and names and notes. It's evident his Bible was well used. The words were poured over. He was intentional with it. Those highlighted verses, the circles, the notes, all pointing to the glory of God, reminding my grandpa who God was what he's called him to be, what he did, how he loved, how he acted, how we're supposed to act, what we're supposed to do, how to see him in nature. So consider marking up your Bible. Or if that gives you mild anxiety, get a journaling Bible where scripture is right next to lines and you can write and circle and highlight. And then be confident that the glory of God will be revealed to you because the Bible is alive. God will meet you there. So let's say you're ready this idea of experiencing and seeing and hearing the glory of God excites you. Ask yourself two questions. Where can we see the glory of God? And how can we give God glory? Short answer is every day and everywhere and anytime and anywhere. If God sees fit tomorrow morning to put air in your lungs and your eyes can still see and your ears can still hear, I guarantee God's glory will be all around you. Granted, it will take intention to see it. Unlike our friends in the Old Testament where it was apparent and bold and unarguable. The nation of Israel saw God's glory as God came down to meet them from Mount Sinai. Exodus 24, 17 records, to the Israelites at the foot of the mountain, the glory of the Lord appeared to them at the summit like a consuming fire. Or the prophet Habakkuk, he got a glimpse of God's glory as well. His splendor, he writes, was like the sunrise, rays flashing from his hands where his power was hidden. Today, the glory of God does not materialize as a cloud or smoke or fire like it did in the Old Testament. But here is what is incredible. His ways may have changed, but our God has not changed. Our God's presence has not changed, and his glory has not changed. Therefore, the God of the Old Testament is the God of today. And for those that are willing to look, you'll bear witness to the glory of God in big ways and small. Big, like majestic mountains, and distinct seasons, and creation. I mean, for me, there is no better place for me to experience and take in the glory of God than being in nature. I'm sure that's true for many of you. Some 14 years ago, Shauna and I got married, and our honeymoon was on an Eastern Caribbean cruise. And I remember one morning waking up, going out to our balcony, and it was a little nerve-wracking because I looked left to right, and all you could see was ocean. Left to right, nothing in the way, nothing to obscure the view Ocean water left to right. The only thing that was in there was the sky which touched the ocean. It was a little overwhelming, but mostly God inspiring. So God shows up in big ways, like seeing the ocean like that, but in small personal ways as well. God's glory can be on display when we show love to one another. 
When we, we are called to love God, and a very close second is love one another. This is not a suggestion, it's a directive. And so when we obey this command, make no mistake, we are glorifying God. We're showing honor and glory back to him. So when we take a real and sincere, wholehearted love for someone, and that transcends race, politics, religion, and sexuality, that is godly love. And the product is God is glorified in that transcendent love. John 13, 35 says, By this, everyone will know you are my disciples if you love one another. How else can you see God's glory personally? You can see God's glory in your prayer life. When you hit pause on what you're doing to have a conversation with the God, the creator of the universe. And he'll show up to talk with you every time. You can see God's glory in the way you trust him and others see that in you. You can see God's glory in your personal walk with Christ as you work out your faith, as you bear fruit. You see, your Christian journey is God's story in your story. So when you share it, you are bringing glory to God. When you share the highs and the lows and how you persevere through trial, that's bringing glory to God. And when someone who's been listening to you is brave enough to ask a question, which leads to a conversation, which may just lead to discipleship, your bearing fruit is bringing glory to God. You can see God's glory in charity, the sharing of time and talent and gifts. Cornwall at the mall here in Bellingham and the Cornwall Toy Hall in Skagit, beautiful examples where God's glory is front and center when we get to act on our call to take care of those in need. Deuteronomy 15 says, give generously, do so without a grudging heart. I command you to be open-handed with the poor and the needy in your land. You can see God's glory through medical outcomes or a diagnosis that you've been waiting for. At six months old, I was diagnosed with leukemia. My early childhood was spent at children's hospital and in and out of doctor's appointments. And my, my parents faithfully prayed that the Lord could heal me. But regardless of the outcome, they were convinced, and everyone knew it, that God would get the glory in my life, whether short or whether I would live. And in a way that God only could, six years later, God healed me. No radiation, no chemo, cancer-free. And that moment, that moment left my oncologist, my doctors, my nurses wondering, scratching their head, how could this be? And my mom and dad will still tear up telling you they got to answer the question, well, our God, full of glory, is gonna do something with this kid. It's incredible to see that that can happen in medical outcomes. You can see God's glory through small groups, living life together. When small groups get real and choose authenticity, God is glorified. Because he built you for community, to lean on one another, to grow with one another. And maybe you've been part of a small group where you've experienced this, where you leave perception and fake perfection at the door so you can grow in your faith with others in the middle of a living room. And guys, for the believer, you can see the glory of God even in death. 
Our Bellingham campus lost a senior saint this week. Trace Goodnight went to be with the Lord on Monday. This is Trace. She was a faithful 11 a.m. third row attender. And I remember my first meeting of Trace. It was after my first sermon here in Bellingham. I'll never forget it. She came up to me and said, Pastor Brian, that was good. Not Bob good, but I think we'll keep you around. I loved her hugs. I loved her encouragement. And while Trace was mentally sharp, she was physically tired of suffering. She was so ready to wake up in the arms of her father. And so how on earth is God's glory tied to Trace's passing? Well, Trace, at 85 years young, continued to chase after Jesus wholeheartedly. Ask her what mattered. She'd say Jesus, her church, and her love of Jesus and the church. <laughs> Pastor Bob posted on his Facebook page this week, Trace was one of a kind, full of life, joy, love, and laughter. She and I got to travel all over the world together. She lived well, loved well, and finished well. I'll miss her greatly. God's glory can be seen in big ways and in small ways. The tangible and the intangible. In a kid that got to live life, and through the passing of a loved one. And when you do get to see God's glory, the evidence of his greatness and his holiness and his grace and his glory, when we take time to do that, we have to pause. That's how we give God glory back. We pause. We pause and pray. We pause and sing. We pause and we journal. We pause and give thanks. Whatever you decide to do in the moment you see God's glory, just pause and do something. Tap into God's glory by looking for, praying for, preparing and walking and watching the glory of God be revealed right in front of you. One asterisk on this message. For anyone in the room, Anyone watching online, if you're hearing this and you find yourself spiritually dry, you're spiritually in the desert, seeing God's glory right now is not as easy as these fill-ins make it to be. An encouragement for you. God's with you. He's not abandoned you. He's right there walking alongside you. And when you find the clearing in the forest, I suspect God's glory will be brighter than it was ever before. So hang on and don't give up. Keep fighting to see God's glory all around you. And for all of us, we were made to glorify God, to reflect his glory, and proclaim it to all creation. This is first understanding who we are. Our creation was for the purpose of glorifying our creator. Then it's undertaking the responsibility like a mirror to reflect our glorified God, and then to tell and share and proclaim our glorious God to everyone we know. And this is not a solo sport. Cornwall, we are in this together. Psalm 34.3 says this, glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. This will happen Wednesday in Skagit and next Wednesday here in Bellingham at Refuge. Refuge, a night designed specifically for you to hit, a hit, hit pause on life. Whatever you've got going on, hit 
pause and intentionally together respond and glorify our God through worship and communion and prayer. And so if you've not been to a refuge before or you haven't been lately, can I strongly encourage that you make time this Wednesday in Skagit and next Wednesday here in Bellingham. And I get it. You're busy. I'm busy. We are busy people. And this side of heaven, I don't think we'll stop being busy. So what it really comes down to is a choice, a priority. There is power when believers say we'll come together. It's why there's the word with and the word together. Great power in these words when we are with one another and glorifying God together. And just put refuge aside for a minute. Imagine if 50 of us gathered together to glorify God. How powerful that would be. Now imagine that becomes 500. You toss in the Skagit campus and area churches that proclaim the name of Jesus. Now we're talking 5,000 people. Many voices, one message. Glory to God in the highest. The bottom line is this. Glorifying God is not something to memorize, but something to do. Pastor Bob mentioned this verse last week. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. Paul is giving some real life examples to the church to whom he is writing, but he also lands the plane with a universal, crystal clear expectation for believers. And it's right here. Whatever you do, whatever, whatever you do, whatever is all-encompassing, whatever you do is either glorifying to God or it's not. There's no gray area. Our choices, our actions, our words will either point people to Jesus or they won't. So whether you're eating or drinking or parenting or working or Bible studying, or mowing, or snow shoveling, or cleaning, or grocery shopping, or homework helping, or game playing, or volunteering, or meal prepping, or exercising, or driving. Do it all for the glory of God. Paul's emphatic, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. And at first, this might take some intentional effort. It might even feel burdensome at first, but soon, Perhaps without you realizing it, in the whatever you're doing, your reflection of the glory of God will become a lifestyle. It will become a paradigm shift. It will become second nature. And as you put God on display in what you do and what you say and how you act, it will make a difference. Theologian Jonathan Edwards said this, God's purpose for my life is that I have a passion for God's glory and that I have a passion for joy in God's glory, and that these two are one passion. We were made to glorify God, to reflect his glory, and to proclaim it to all creation. And so this becomes our challenge. If you really believe, Isaiah 6, 3, that the whole earth is filled with his glory, then would you have eyes to identify one way the glory of God has been placed in front of you before this week is through. One way. One way you've seen the glory of God evidenced to you in your life. 
That's part one. Part two, proclaim it. Tell your family, tell your friends, your neighbors, your quad, your small group, your coworkers, your barista, blast it on social media. Now, fair warning, it's December 1st. The countdown to Christmas is on. And so Christmas parties and school concerts and decorating the tree and family gatherings and year-end projects will all be vying for your attention. So this will take intention for you. So step into this week with a great intention. Hold firm to the belief that you and I were made to glorify our glorious God alone, to reflect like a mirror his glory to those around us and proclaim it to all of creation. And together, together, may we see God's glory so that we can give God glory 